Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Navy Federal is proud to serve active duty service members from all military branches and veterans and their families. For more details and to apply, visit NavyFederal.org. All right. Today we're talking with Navy veteran Vince Scott, cryptologist in the Navy. Vince, before we get to talking about all the great entrepreneurial stuff you've been doing since your military time in the military, take us back and tell us what you did in the Navy. Yeah, sure. So I, I started out as a Navy shipboard engineer. Uh, I decommissioned an old Knox class frigate and then was on the pre-commissioning crew of a brand new uh, Aegis cruiser. Uh, and then I uh, fell into the, the clutches of the National Security Agency and uh, became a Navy cryptologist. Uh, most people don't realize NSA is actually a part of the Department of Defense. It's not an independent agency. And um, more than half of its workforce is uniform military. It is actually formed out of the code-breaking activities of the Second World War, led by the Army and the Navy. Uh, and that was actually created by Truman uh, in order to, to sort of make the Army and the Navy talk and get along and give him one set of answers instead of uh, getting it from the Navy on even days and the Army on odd days. <laughs> Interesting. What exactly does a Navy cryptologist do? Well, I think, you know, there's two sides to cryptology, uh, offense and defense. Uh, offense is sort of how do you electronically exploit our adversaries in order to gain uh, intelligence and a competitive advantage. Um, and then on the defensive side, uh, it is how do I protect our communications or how do we protect our communications uh, from exploitation? Uh, I spent all my time uh, playing the offensive side of the ball. Uh, my last military role, I was the deputy chief of intelligence collection for Europe and parts of Africa. Nice. Wow. Can you talk about your transition out of the Navy and how you ultimately get into this entrepreneurship stuff? Yeah, sure. So, um, I left the Navy in 2010. I retired. Um, I went to work for, for Oklahoma State's multispectral laboratory, uh, a not-for-profit hung off the university, spinning technologies back to the DOD. Uh, there was a lot of how do we spin companies out, out of that organization. Mm -hmm. And really, um, you know, I think entrepreneurship or having your own company has a lot of potential advantages, uh, certainly from a uh, it's a higher, higher risk, higher reward sort of approach because, you know, a steady job gives you a paycheck every day and health insurance and all that stuff. Uh, but really there's a, there's a real limit on, um, uh, how much you can advance, uh, in that space, uh, from an entrepreneurship perspective. Uh, much higher risk. Uh, you're out there. It's on you. You've got to uh, build that company. You've got to make that work. Uh, you've got to deal with the regulatory aspects. You've got to deal with the product and sales aspects. You've got to deal with the people aspects. All of those things are, are, are challenges. If you're up for that kind of challenge, uh, I think the, the potential rewards in entrepreneurship are enormous. Uh, I've actually found that I like not necessarily having a boss. Uh, 
<laughs> right? So, so really it's on me. And if I decide to do it, um, then we can go do it. Um, you know, there's a number of things where, where I'm working in, in sort of the, the DOD cyberspace. And there's just things that I can do, uh, as a part, as a CEO of my own company that I could never do working for, you know, a, a regular commercial organization. Mm-hmm. Now, were you, were you, uh, into entrepreneurial ventures or anything when you were still in the Navy? I was not, no. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really was uh, not something that I thought a lot about. I looked at it from an independence perspective. Uh, I started a my first company at Oklahoma State, uh, and it was a fail. And I went back to, I uh, got a job. <laughs> right. And, and went back to commercial industry for a while. Uh, and now I, uh, I've started a couple of not for profits. Then I, you know, I've now started my, uh, uh, my second company and, uh, that that's looking much better. I think that's also part of entrepreneurship is you got to be prepared to fail and, uh, get back up on your feet and dust yourself off and, and go, go try something, a different approach. Right. I, had many entrepreneurial ventures while I was still in the Marine Corps, but my last couple of years in the Marine Corps, I was kind of in an academic environment at the Army's Command General Staff College. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm finally going to go get this master's degree. And I actually got a master's in entrepreneurship from Oklahoma State at the, at the same time that you were down there. And you actually went through their veteran entrepreneurship program, which um, myself and uh, Justin Constantine, another Marine, we were actually the guest speakers for the kickoff of the veteran entrepreneurship program down there one year. Um, so heavily intertwined with the Oklahoma state community. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of things going on, great things going on with vet, like the veteran entrepreneurship program at Oklahoma state and a lot of other universities have some phenomenal, um, boot camps or immersion programs or, um, another number of other things and ongoing support. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about those programs. Yeah. Right. So if you're a veteran out there and you're thinking about getting into entrepreneurship, uh, what the way Oklahoma State does it, and this is not universal across universities, but several others do it the same way. If you have any kind of VA rating at all, even zero percent, but you have a letter from the VA, uh, they'll put you through the program for free. Uh, There is there is not a better deal. Uh, they have great instructors. They have highly experienced people. They are there to help you. The Oklahoma State program provides you for a year of mentorship after you graduate. Um, I highly recommend looking around for those types of opportunities because they are out there. And uh, it's a great start if you're looking to get into having your own business. Right. You mentioned uh, your first entrepreneurial venture coming out of Oklahoma State was a fail. Um, but obviously that didn't discourage you because you've started uh, several companies since then. Um, haven't uh, approached this subject for a while, but one of the things that I pulled out of the Oklahoma State program was entrepreneurship is a process. Um, it's not really about the product or the, the greatest product or the greatest service. It's if you're going to be successful in entrepreneurship, you have to learn the process. So you can learn that process by running an idea through that ultimately becomes a failure just as much, if not more then you can learn the process by running it through and actually having it be a success. Absolutely. And, and I think in a, a potential good approach, I think there's a couple of ways you can people start companies, right? One way is I'm, I'm, I'm deeply invested in the company and the company is me and I'm going to, I'm going to be the company forever. 
uh, it's my baby and I'm going to love it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually think a better approach to that is look at it as, as the company is the product, right? How do I build the best company that's viable, that's uh, financially stable, that's growing appropriately. And like you said, has gone through that process, gone through that startup process. And, and that's a success, right? Uh, and not, get too much that you're it's it's you it's you right mm-hmm. uh, i i'm really taking that approach with this new company that i've started now uh the company is the product my intent is to build the company uh to a point where where i can sell the company and i can move on absolutely and to use a military analogy you know leadership in the military was always about if you're a military leader of whatever size unit if you if your unit fails to continue to operate properly with you being gone, then you as a leader haven't done your job and you have to approach business in the same way. You're at your job, your, your responsibility, especially as a CEO, like you are, this thing should be running without me and I should be watching it from, from the 30,000 foot level and it should always be able to run without me at any time. Yeah. A great phrase that I've picked up along the way has been uh, work on the company, not in the company. So a lot of yes. times you have to work in the company when you're an army of one, right? You're, you're, you're doing it all, right? But as you, you grow that, you should have that in your mind and say, I want to be working on the company, not not in the company, right? So I, I don't want to be doing the day-to-day moving a piece of paper from one side of the, the organization to the other or however, mm-hmm. whatever that product, delivering that very specific product or service. I, I want to be working on the company. How do we do that better? What's where, Where's the future of my company going to go? Those sorts of things. So I think you should always be looking to be working on the company, uh, even when you're small and you start, because that, that gives you that vision, that gives you that strategy that allows you to, to really succeed over time. And that's very difficult to do, um, especially as a solo entrepreneur, or somebody just starting, just getting going. Um, it's real easy to want to do everything yourself because one, it's free if you do it. Um, two, yep. two, you're on a small budget, you know, two, um, you know, it's going to be done the way you, exactly the way you want it to be done. If you do it, it's so, so it's so easy to fall into that trap. Um, and that's a hard thing. I think when you, when you do a really good job and, um, you know, a lot of military folks are going to come out and do a great job and they're going to mm-hmm. be focused and they're going to be focused on whatever that product or service is being great and, and on target and on time and, you know, all of those great things. And then it becomes hard to hand that off to someone else mm-hmm. who maybe isn't going to do that as well as you do. Uh, and if you're really specialized or you have a real capability, you build it around the skill or something that you bring to the table, which a lot of entrepreneurs do, that can be particularly true. I, I have, um, a friend of mine I'm working with and she has her company, uh, and she is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, and that's one of the things, you know, we talked about in the last week is her wanting to expand and, and she says, Hey, it's, it's a struggle for me to, to find people that I'm willing to hand that off to because she knows she's going to do it better. And she, and she probably is, but you, you have to then build your systems and processes in order to, you know, deliver a level of quality Mm -hmm. that's going to, make the grade, uh, even if that level of quality is not necessarily what you would give as the founder of the company. Yes. Um, and it's, as the owner, um, it's easy to fall into that trap thinking that 
only you can do this as good as you do it. And I think really more accurate description is it's not that somebody else isn't going to do it as good as you. Somebody else isn't going to do it as good as you. Somebody else isn't going to do it exactly the way you would have done it. Because that, that is, only that you know exactly true. how you were going to do it. <laughs> you were going to do it, right. Yeah. And, and my so, way is the best way, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, one of my my favorite books is The Leadership Lid. It's back here somewhere. Um, and in that whole Leadership Lid concept, I'm, I, I've got here what I – I've got a number of different irons of the fire. One of the things is sent to your research labs that um, is a entrepreneurial sort of organization. We've started here in Tulsa to, to take research and development and spin it out into, into new companies. Um, working with a company here in Tulsa that clearly it's a two person shop and uh, they have some great technology and to a certain extent just won't get out of their own way um, because it's that, oh, but nobody else will do it like I will do it. Uh, I'm afraid somebody's going to steal my stuff, et cetera. You have to be able to let go of some of that uh, yeah. in order to be able to really grow, right? Otherwise, you hit the leadership lid and you're you're limited. You know, if you, you won't expand beyond two people, you'll never have more than two people's man hours in a single week. Yeah. And and that, lim- that puts a real hard limit on how much you can expand and how much you can do. And, you know, I think beginning entrepreneurs are some of those folks that they, maybe they've been doing it for a long time, but they're still just a, a two-person shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like, um, and I think military folks can fall into this trap. It's almost like they feel empowered by the fact that the company won't run without them. And that, that gives them yeah. a sense of purpose that everything relies on them and they've got to be there all the time to make it operate. Whereas- yep if you've ever been able to pull yourself out and have it continue to operate without you, some people might think that's scary, but the the true entrepreneur or, or the true leader, when, when they've set something up and they can step away from it and watch it run on its own, that's, that's the ultimate end game right there. I think it's very human. I, 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 mm-hmm. I can think of a number of instances across time in the military, outside the military where I've seen exactly what you're talking about with, you know, that, well, what do I do then? Where's my, I lose my value yeah. if I let you do that work. It's almost like a parent when their kid finally leaves the nest and flies off and they're like, I don't have a purpose now. Like, right. You, you, you accomplish your goal by, you know, raising that child and letting them the goal fly. Is, well, you, know? you see that with some parents who, who actually encourage kids to be dependent, yeah. <laughs> right? Forever. People do it with and, their and, business. And that happens, right? And that's not a good relationship over time. Right. Um, and really, really the goal is, no, I, I want you to be a fully functioning independent adult. That's the goal here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, hey, Vince, hold that thought. Um, we're going to get to talking about your defense cybersecurity group next. But I do want to take a quick break. So we'll be right back. Navy Federal is proud to serve active duty service members, veterans, and their families. At Navy Federal Credit Union, they don't just serve the Navy. They also serve the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, and even the Space Force. So no matter where you are in your military career, they offer the products and resources to help you navigate your finances. Like the Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card, which now offers better rewards than ever before. The More Rewards card now offers three times points at supermarkets, three times points at restaurants and food delivery. That means Grubhub, DoorDash, or whatever your favorite food delivery service is. Also get three times the points on gas and transit. That means tolls, parking lots, ride shares, buses, and more. And you get one point on everything else. 
Earn more rewards on your everyday spending with the Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card. Enjoy special perks and points you can redeem for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Plus, earn bonus points. Learn more about how you can get 25,000 points, a $250 value, when you open a Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card today. Visit NavyFederal.org for more details and to apply. Insured by NCUA. American Express is a registered service mark of American Express. Used by Navy Federal under license. Many of us have had plenty of rides in helicopters during our time in the military, but in the civilian world, emergency medical air transport can be expensive. And with all the sacrifices you've made to protect our country, you deserve financial peace of mind. An AMCN membership can protect your family and finances, allowing you to worry less about what matters most. Air MedCare Network provides access to life-saving emergency care around the country, and their members enjoy an added value. Members pay no out-of-pocket costs for emergency air medical transport when flown by an AMCN member. Remember, your health insurance may not cover the full cost, but for as little as $85 a year, an Air MedCare Network membership covers your entire household. It's security no family should be without. For a limited time, as a Veteran on the Move listener, you'll get up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash vet and use offer code VET. That's V-E-T. All right, back talking with uh, Navy veteran Vince Scott, CEO of Defense Cybersecurity Group. Um, funny thing, Vince, when, when, on the break, um, I, I mentioned something about Navy Federal Credit Union. Um, sometimes I pre-record uh, some of the ads I do for Navy Federal, but in the break we were talking about, I'm like, You're, are you a member of Navy Federal? And he's like, yeah. You've been a, a, a member of Navy Federal since when? 1985. Yep. It was one of the first things like I swore in and they were like, okay, you need a Navy federal account um, and you need a USAA credit card. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Same thing. I was, I was uh, at the basic school in 1990 and somebody mentioned uh, it was a, a prior enlisted Marine that had become an officer. He's like, Oh, you got to get Navy federal. Yeah. I've had them for several years, man. They're awesome. I signed up. I still have the same checking account. I, I, I am fabulously with happy with Navy <laughs> Federal, like doing my mortgage through them. Um, uh, when we, one of our moves, right, we find out that there's a problem with the earnest money check. I'm on the phone at two o'clock in the morning, the morning before the close with Navy Federal. And they're like, nope, we have a manager on duty 24 seven because we have people in Australia and we have people everywhere. We can take care of this right now, Mr. Scott, you know, we'll get it done. And, you know, wow. between two and three o'clock in the morning, we solved that problem. I, I just love Navy, Navy Federal. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. And we, we even have uh, business accounts with them now too. Navy Federal has business accounts. So that's cool. Um, so a lot yeah, of, yeah, absolutely. That, that's actually where my business account is as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, anyways, big plug for Navy federal there. Okay. So, all right. Um, Vince, I do want to get to talking about your current, the, your current company, your CEO of defense cybersecurity group, um, in your experience in inner workings of cybersecurity, uh, sounds like you ran across some issues with a lot of companies wanting to do business with the DOD and what their security levels need to be, and they needed help with that. And is that where the idea for the, your business came from? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what, one of my other uh, current current uh, avenues of attack is uh, I, I actually serve as the chief security officer for a medium-sized defense contractor here in Tulsa as well. And uh, working with their subcontractors and stuff, a, a lot of challenges with the new cybersecurity requirements that are coming out for 
DOD contracting. So if you're a small or medium-sized company and you're in the DOD contracting space, you, you really need to be concerned about the compliance requirements that are coming down the pike. So there were three new DFAR rules on cyber that hit 30 November. Um, Two of those rules essentially say you have to turn your homework in on cyber to the DOD that says how you've been doing against the rules that have been in place since 1 January 2018. Um, And that was when that was all supposed to be implemented. Uh, That most companies haven't implemented that and the DOD has come out and said, just tell me where you're at. How much have you got done and when do you think you're going to be done? Uh, but we're not going to give you any new contracts, mods, awards, et cetera, after 30 November of 2020, unless you've turned your homework in. So that's concern number one. Uh, I've actually talked to some small companies. Well, we won our contract last year and it's got five option years and, you know, and I'll worry about that down the road. No, 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 no. Options count as a change. So you can't get your next option year. Even if, you know, you're a small company, you got your one contract, you don't have a bunch of stuff in the pipeline, you still need to be concerned about this. And and certainly if you have anything in the pipeline, uh, you know, oftentimes in the defense space, we spend two years working to nail down a DOD contract. That whole process is much slower than commercial, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to lose that because they turn around and say, show me your cybersecurity stuff and you go, what cybersecurity stuff? So what my company is doing, Defense Cybersecurity Group, is we're focused on small and medium-sized businesses. How can we help you meet the rules that there are today, plan for the rules of the future? And really the rules of the future around this thing called cybersecurity maturity model certification, which is the new DOD standard for cyber. And it has multiple levels. So level one is kind of easy, but not trivial. There's still things you have to do even in level one. And level three is where you have controlled and classified information. Um, and actually, a lot of companies out there have controlled and classified information. So if you currently see FOUO, uh, I'd be concerned. Uh, there are a lot of professionals in this space who argue with me about FOUO is not CUI, but maybe it is sometimes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, it, it gets way too complex, and yeah, we can have a nuanced argument about every individual piece of FOUO, but if you're getting FOUO from the federal government, you need to be asking questions, you need to be concerned. Mm-hmm. Because that's the the most ubiquitous marking out there. Uh, Honestly, the DOD is terrible right now at following their own rules. They're not marking controlled unclassified information. Even though this has been around via an executive order for 10 years, uh, still the vast majority of of DOD organizations aren't aren't doing it. So that makes it a, a hard thing for you. But as you look at it as a company, it really comes down to what's the contracting officer telling me I have to be concerned about. And a lot of times the contracting officers are going to throw those clauses at every contract and just say, yeah, be compliant with everything. That's a challenge. <clears throat> So uh, I recommend finding help if you don't have somebody on staff who does this and understands this and can help you formulate your plan and maybe come back with an articulate argument to your contracting officer about, hey, here are the rules and here's why this is the way it is. And, you know, you could try and work in that that direction, although uh, educating contracting officers is a uh, fraught with peril, and I, I well understand that. Uh, so, so there's just a lot of challenges in this space. And if you have controlled and classified information, you're small and medium sized business, particularly you're in the research and development space. And, you know, I'm working with some small companies that are doing new, cool UAV stuff and other things like that. Um, that's going to put you in that 
controlled unclassified information umbrella. And for a small and medium-sized company, the amount of security controls they require are pretty expensive. There, there's a lot out there. So yeah. having somebody to help you figure that out, uh, figure out how to minimize that, uh, but meet the requirements. And there's also a part of this that's really we've got to raise the bar across the defense industrial base. Um, I see far too many companies that just haven't done anything with cybersecurity at all. Uh, and the Chinese are eating our lunch. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, can, you, can you talk a little bit about the cybersecurity landscape out there right now? Yeah. If you have a Microsoft Exchange and you haven't patched your server uh, this week, <laughs> you have a problem. Uh, there's a huge, um, so there, uh, Microsoft, I want to say Monday of last week, Tuesday of last week, Microsoft Tuesday of last week dropped publicly announced uh, essentially a zero day, four different vulnerabilities for their standard exchange server. We know that the Chinese, the reason why this came out is because we caught the Chinese exploiting this in early January. Um, you know, which led to conversations with Microsoft and then Microsoft announces vulnerabilities and puts the patch out and all that. Well, uh, based on my reading, it appears that the Chinese tripped to the fact that the patch was coming out uh, sometime around the end of February, 28 February. And they started to spray this vulnerability across the defense industrial base. So, we're talking hundreds of thousands of servers potentially being exploited. And the first thing that they are doing in this exploit is they're dropping a reverse shell. They're dropping a backdoor onto your server. Hmm. So um, that's all played out in the the last week. They're trying to get ahead of the patch, trying to get ahead of the patch. So the backdoor can still be there. Exactly right. Right. So so even though, even once patched, if you have a backdoor on your machine, the patch doesn't help you now. <laughs> right. So, so you, cleaning that battle space up is extremely important. The very first thing you got to do is you got to go patch your servers. If you haven't done that, and patching a mail server is always fraught with peril because you got to bring the server down and nobody wants to lose email. And the CEO says, Yeah, you know, we'll put it off to the end of the month. No. <laughs> if you haven't done it yet, if you didn't do it this past weekend, you need to plan to do it tonight. Mm. <laughs> it really is that bad. Um, and then there's some tools out there right now that Microsoft has dropped some tools where you can run scans against your server and see if that and look for backdoors or the potential for you to be exploited. Um, on at least one of my clients, uh, we've seen that uh, and discovered exploitation with those um, with that uh, exploit. So uh, something really to be concerned about today. Completely separate from Solar Winds is a completely different thing. Uh, a lot of small and medium-sized businesses don't use Solar Winds as a big platform for IT architecture and configuration, right? Uh, but a lot of people have got Exchange. Now, if you're using Exchange in the cloud, right? You're using the Microsoft Office Exchange, Office 365 cloud mm-hmm. thing. Uh, that was not a vulnerability in the cloud, so you're good there. But if you had, you know, the on, uh, on-prem exchange and you were using uh, 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 Outlook Web Access, OWA, uh, you're almost certainly been hacked via that exploit. I mean, they really were spraying it all over the place. So The irony it, of that is, big uh, like, recently associated with a couple of companies that have gone back to Microsoft Exchange, got away from Gmail, 
the Gmail platform because yep. because of security reasons. And then here you are with Microsoft still being still having vulnerabilities. It, it is the security. Everybody has vulnerabilities, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is. <sighs> This is part of the reason why in the defense industrial base, we need to raise our game, right? Um, unfortunately, in cyber, we have the the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Patriot offense playing against college club sport defense. <laughs> they're not even playing against Texas A&M, right? They're, they're, <laughs> they're playing against the, the intramural squad. Yeah. It, it's generally the way I look at this in cyber. So, so most companies are way behind the power curve from an offense perspective. Offense is going to win, right? Because they're, they're going to put points on the board. So, so what you need to be able to do is you, you need to have your defensive architecture set as well as you can. And then cyber security is something we do, not something we have, right? You can't, there's no buying a tool and forgetting about it in cybersecurity. Now for small and medium sized businesses, this is a real, real, real challenge, right? Cause I can't hire 10 people just to do cybersecurity for me. I'm a five person company. What the heck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So, I think as we we go along, I actually like cloud, right? Uh, because this is a great instance where the cloud piece Microsoft had up to date wasn't vulnerable, etc. I think cloud can be done well, and if you look at cloud from like a Microsoft Office three sixty five or G Suite for business, Microsoft and Google are spending millions of dollars on their security, literally. How much money are you spending on your security if you're a five-person company? So so for small companies, I think cloud makes a ton of sense rather than trying to do this in a closet in your office. Right. Still needs to be done, configured safely. And from a new DOD requirements perspective, if you're working in the DIB, those cloud service providers have to have certain certifications that they're good for government work. So Office 365 commercial, which is probably the vast majority of companies out there are using in the DIB, and then Google for business is probably, you know, number two. Um, Office 365 commercial is not, uh, does not hold the FedRAMP certifications. So if you're a Department of Defense contractor, you want to do your stuff in the cloud, you need to look at, uh, there's two offerings for Microsoft. One's GCC, government, cloud computing, and GCC high. Um, they're more expensive than commercial, but you need to make that investment and you need to be doing your stuff in GCC or GC high. Uh, Google Suite, uh, Google for Business uh, does have some some FedRAMP certifications, but it doesn't meet all of the DFAR requirements. So I'm not aware of a Google offering right now that meets all the compliance requirements uh, for the DoD certifications, and that's that's a challenge. We may see that change. Uh, Microsoft has been all in on expanding their offerings to to meet the needs of the compliant community, but that's uh, I haven't seen as much activity out of Google. Interesting that using the cloud concept is is a more secure way of doing things that you mentioned. Um, yep. Because I think I've always thought that anything in the cloud, maybe once it's in the cloud, it's really secure, but isn't the vulnerability getting it to and from the cloud? Uh, most cloud goes through um, your browser. 
Um, and those browsers use encryption. They use TLS. So that, that encryption between the endpoint and the cloud usually is pretty good. The problem with cloud is people who misconfigure their cloud uh, data repositories so that they're open to the Internet. Um, so, so that's the, you know, they don't realize what they're doing. They don't, they, they want to make it easy to access. And then they don't realize they've just given access. It's like putting your, your hard drive out there attached directly to the internet, right? Anybody can, can scan for it and find it a lot. That that's the biggest problem with cloud misconfigurations that make this leave it wide open for anybody who wants to download stuff from it. <laughs> and they do. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so we're getting close to the end of our time here. I do want to, um, if, if somebody's interested in, in contacting Vince Scott, what's the best way to go about doing that? Uh, www.cybersecgru.com, uh, named after the old security group, uh, which was Navy cryptologist for many years. Uh, that's, that was always Secru. So I'm, <laughs> I'm cybersecgru.com. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Um, also, um, in, in, Along the lines of uh, thinking about entrepreneurship and veteran entrepreneurship, folks in the military community, if you're talking to you know, what you learned down at Oklahoma State in the beginning years um, of your entrepreneurial career, what kind of things should a budding entrepreneur coming out of the military be thinking about? Um, be worried about what you don't know. Uh, we tend to think coming out of the military that we've, we've got a pretty good feel for this commercial thing mm-hmm. uh there there's actually a lot of aspects of this that we just don't have to deal with we're, we're really strong and get the job done we're really strong in leadership uh we understand technologies you know all of those things that you don't always get credit for in the straight up commercial marketplace but i think are absolutely true mm-hmm. but there are things like tax law how do we set up a company what, what are the rules behind that how do i um how do i invoice and depreciation and just there's a lot of rules on that side that we don't understand um from an entrepreneurial perspective how do you raise money right what is what is venture capital and how do i leverage that and and what what do I need to be concerned about there? Is it like Shark Tank? Well, no, not necessarily. Um, so th- I think there's some gaps in our knowledge. Uh, certainly that sort of compliance from a from a state and uh, local law perspective, tax, that kind of stuff, we don't have mm-hmm. a lot of exposure to that. That how do we raise capital? Don't have a lot of exposure to that. And I think that's another place where certainly for entrepreneurs, there's some great books out there. Um uh, you probably got some you could recommend, Joe. I'd have to go go dig through my stack to to mm-hmm. recall some titles, but uh, I think there there are resources out there for that. Study up on that if this is something that you want to do. Yeah, um, some of the things you mentioned remind me one of my my army buddies who's a business guy. He said businesses are run from spreadsheets. Would you agree with that? I think so. Your, your cash flow is life. Yeah. How, where, where's my money and where's it going? Because it controls what actually happens. And that's very different than the military. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Most military folks totally miss that concept. I mean, it sounds, uh, try to say that, but it's, it's true. Military folks haven't granted. We, we, we deal with budgets and when the money comes in or whatever, but 
we're not in the business of actually creating money or making money and, um, or, or oftentimes tracking it, only track it at our unit level, whatever it may be. Well, and it impacts a lot more things. Um, it impacts how many people I have, right? So we don't think about the budget for billets mm-hmm. uh, from, a, from a military perspective. That, that comes, I get what I get. I'm, I'm a battalion commander and I have what I have. Oh, your people or already I'm paid a for division it. officer, department head or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, that, that's a, that's your cash flow immediately needs to, to reflect how many people can I hire? Because I gotta have I gotta have a certain amount of cash flow in order to be able to pay those guys. That's that's actually one of the most important things you look at as an entrepreneur is cash flow so I can make salary. Mm-hmm. That we don't have to worry about that at all in the military. That's just not a thing. Right. Yeah. All your all your people are always paid for. They're already paid for when you get them. Um, yeah. Right. And other than maybe run, running somebody on TDY or TAD um, orders or something like that, we have. You know, travel budget. Yeah, travel we have to do the travel budget. Those kinds but, of things, but we never deal with people's salaries, paying for that. Right. And that's the most important thing because let me tell you, you you, you can't make a salary. That's going to hurt your business prospects and, you know, it hurts your people and, and that becomes the thing that keeps you awake at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you can't make payroll, how long, how long do people usually stick around? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Vince, um, to give you the last word, you know, if, uh, if you're talking to somebody that's get ready to get out of the military, just got out looking to get in, uh, they've got a business idea or they're just want to go be their own boss. What kind of advice would you have for them on how to start, where to start? Leverage the free resources that are available. We mentioned Oklahoma state university's venture and entrepreneurship program. That's, that's a great example. Um, there are, uh, free, um, organizations that you can join in, in various cities. What's the one that you're leading in Kansas city, Joe, I can't think of the name. Bunker labs. Yeah. Yeah. Bunker labs, bunker labs, another great, Hey, how do I meet other entrepreneurs and have mm-hmm. this conversation? Avail yourself of the free resources that are out there. Realize that you've got a lot to learn. Don't just set off into the wilderness, uh, alone and unafraid. Absolutely. Great advice. All right, Vince. Thanks. Thanks for the interview. Thanks for the info. Looking forward to your guys' future success, which sounds like you're doing awesome. Joe, great to be here at Veteran on the Move. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>